Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Today we are continuing on. We are are jumping into our series, The 21-Day Reset. And if if you missed last Sunday, um, the good news for you, or maybe the bad news, I'm not sure which it is, but now you're only needing to do 14 days of fasting and prayer instead of 21 days. Uh, lucky you. So you're a little bit of a late starter, but there is such a blessing in the reality of putting God first with the beginning of our year. And there's many different ways that you can choose to fast, whether it's, uh, you know, refraining from social media or from certain foods or maybe from food for a little while in general. Whatever God is leading you into, I want to encourage you to take some time at the beginning of this year and enter into fasting and prayer and putting God first and seeking him first in your life. And we're going to be looking at a passage from Matthew 17. And the title of my message today is simply this. The subtle art of moving mountains. The subtle art of moving mountains. Moving mountains 101, because that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. And, you know, this past week I was, I was Googling and researching how mountains are formed, and I was really surprised to see a new definition for, uh, for mountains pop up on Google when I put the search. You can check it out right here. Um, turns out mountain is spelled Brock, Purdy, and Stetson Bennett. Let's go Niners. Let's go dogs. You knew it was coming if you've been around at all. Uh, Let's go Brock Purdy. Come on, stepping up in the playoffs. Very similar stories if you think about it. If you know anything about the Georgia Bulldogs uh, and Stetson Bennett and his victory last week, I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Not much to say, um, except that that was the least stressful game of my entire life. So praise God for that. <laughs> um, but let's, let's open God's word together. Matthew 17. Um, it'll be on the side screen as well. Verse 14 to 21. Now, some of you, depending on the version of the Bible that you have, you may not have verse 21 and you'll be like, wait, what happened? My Bible went from verse 20 to verse 22. Why did it skip verse 21? Um, I'll chat about that in just a second. Um, there's different, different reasons for that, but I want to read this, including verse 21. It'll be on the side screen, and then we'll go from there. So starting in verse 14, Matthew 17. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Jesus responded, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long am I going to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They came to him later, and they said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will be moved, and nothing will be impossible for you. But then verse 21, again, in some versions, it continues on, but this kind never comes out 
except by prayer and fasting. This kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Now, a couple things I want to hit. The reason verse 21 is included in some versions and not others, you, you say, well, this is the inspired word of God. How could different versions be different? Um, the reason is some of the earliest manuscripts include that verse 21, which is taken from the exact same story in Mark and brought over into Matthew. And so it's included there right at the end. And so Regardless, God's word does use verse 21 in Mark, and many manuscripts include it in Matthew as well. I think it applies to what we're, what we're going through, what we're talking about. But I, I just wanted to clear that up for you in case you're reading your Bible and you're like, wait a second, mine went from 20 to 22. Not sure how that happened, but that's the reason why. Um, and I, I want to clear another thing up for us. When Jesus is talking, because I, I remember maybe if you were like me, when I first read this, very first time, like brand new Christian, reading through the Bible, all fired up. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm about to walk up to the Sierra Nevada. I'm going to test my faith today, see how much faith I have. I'm going to look at that mountain and be like, move. Man, I, I don't know. I was zealous. I was fired up. Ridiculous, right? But at the same time, what Jesus is saying here, he never wastes a moment to give us a lesson or to, to give a little parable in the midst of something he wants to teach us. He's not saying, yeah, just go talk to rocks and see if, see if you can get them to move. Like that's your, that's your faith workout for this week. See if you can get the mountains to move. What he is saying is this, a mountain was like a, a, a proverbial saying in the ancient Near East, especially among the, the Jewish people. It was representative of any circumstance, of any situation, of anything that you were up against or facing that would be impossible to fix on purely human terms. A mountain is any obstacle that you're facing or you're up against that would be impossible to fix or to solve or to move in your strength alone. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, we've got a mountain that we're facing right here disciples that you just faced right here. It was a boy who was suffering from seizures, and you did your best to, to pray and to, to, to fix the situation, to see the child healed, and you couldn't do it. And, par and partly they're confused because we learned from Luke just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, I'm going to send you out two by two, I'm going to give you my power so you're going to be able to hear, heal the blind and heal the deaf and you're going to cast out demons and you're going to see the lame begin to walk just like I did. And sure enough, they went out and they came back rejoicing and they're like, it worked. We could do it too, Jesus. We did it. This is amazing. And so people began to hear that even Jesus' followers were doing the miracles that Jesus had been doing. And so they began going to his followers. And in this one particular town, the father of a boy who had suffered from epilepsy and seizures sought out Jesus' disciples. And the reason Jesus wasn't there with him in that moment is because he was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And just before this story, we see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
Peter, James, and John are standing with Jesus at the top of the mountain, and Jesus unveils himself in the fullness of his glory. It says, his face is shining like the sun. The audible voice of God the Father breaks out of heaven and goes, this is my beloved son in who I'm well pleased. It's this incredible moment. Peter loses his mind. You know, amazing. They come back down the mountain, and here is this father that runs up to Jesus and says, can you help my son? I brought him to your disciples. I'd heard they'd healed some people, but they can't seem to, to heal him. What's going on? And Jesus responds, oh, you faithless and twisted generation. Why do you have such little faith? Twisted meaning you're not looking. Your faith is not pointed in the right direction. It's looking at the wrong things. And friends, the first point that I want to make today, what I believe Jesus is teaching us from this verse, number one, point number one is this, mountains are not just obstacles, they're assignments. Mountains are not just obstacles, they're assignments. Maybe, just maybe, God has assigned you or allowed a mountain in your life to show the world that it can be moved. And here's what I mean by that. I, I recently watched a documentary, fascinating documentary, about these two professional rock climbers, Kevin Jorgensen and Tommy Caldwell, who did a first ascent. That means they're the first ones to ever climb this rock face. The first ascent of something in Yosemite, it's right on the edge of El Capitan, El Cap, which is, if you're looking down Yosemite Valley, you can see Half Dome on the right-hand side at the very end. El Cap is the huge rock formation, the cliff on the left side. They just finished the first ascent of what's called the Dawn Wall. Because when the sun rises in the morning, it's the very first spot on El Capitan where the sun hits. And people have been climbing El Capitan for a long time. A guy just climbed it recently, a couple years back, without a rope. His name was Alex Honnold, Free Solo, another crazy documentary. But nobody, until Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen, had ever climbed the Dawn Wall. In fact, it was known by all the rock climbing community that the Dawn Wall was the single most difficult blankest slab of granite on the planet, meaning nobody thought it was possible. And Tommy Coldwell, who's a legend in the rock climbing community, looked at it and said, I'm going to give it a shot. Now, he did it with ropes, praise God. But it's the longest sustained pitch of difficult climbing that is known to man on earth. Now, they set out on this task, right, on this mountain, not even knowing if it was possible. I mean, imagine this, okay? You are trying to scale a 3,000-plus vertical slab of granite, and you are scouring the rocks left and right for a hold about the size of your fingernail that maybe you can put your toe on it and hold on to it over here and pull yourself up. Friends, for three years, count them, three years, they tried to find a way up the Dawn Wall. Here's a photo of it from one of their days. Okay, that's Kevin. Anybody else have like sweaty palms right now? Like just below him, those little white like bags on the side of the cliff, that's their house. 
It's a portal ledge. It's where they're living, okay? So when, when it wasn't winter, they literally lived in those tents day in, day out, weeks, months on end, and they would try to get just 10 feet further up, 20 feet further up. I got to get over here on these tiny little holds so I can get up five more feet. And at the end of three years, you know what? They did it. They made it to the top. It's, it's an unbelievable documentary, and you look at this thing, and, and the whole rock climbing world went crazy. Suddenly, like, it's possible. It can be done. Within a week, professional rock climbers from across the planet were showing up in Yosemite saying, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a try. Now that I know it can be done, now that someone, and they published all the holds, they published their exact route that they went up, so anybody that knows how to climb would know how to follow their map. The next guy who did it, about two weeks later, a guy named Adam Andra, guess how long it took him to climb it? Seven days. If I was Tommy and Kevin, I'd be like, whatever. It doesn't mean you're better than us. You know, I was like, oh, ouch, that hurts a little bit. But there was an interview I watched with Adam Andra afterwards, and he said, you know, there's no way I could have ever done it if Tommy and Kevin hadn't showed the world it was possible. He goes, they made our jobs easy. I mean, not easy. It's still 514 plus. You're, you're making your way up on the tiniest little holds you could ever imagine. He goes, but they showed the world the mountain could be climbed and they showed us all how to do it. So if you're a professional climber, you know now you're not just up there with a toothbrush looking for holds. You know exactly where to go. They showed the world, quote unquote, the mountain could be moved. And I imagine there were some moments over those three years sitting on the edge of that wall, unable to get through a certain section or a particular moment where they thought, what are we doing? In fact, they would often be interviewed by the New York Times or whatever, and the first question that they were always asked, this would be so annoying, but I get it, is why? Why are you risking your life? Why are you guys doing this? And, and there was just this internal thing inside of them. That we want to we see if it can be done, and we want to be the first ones to do it. We want to show the world this mountain can be moved. And friends, we all, whether we, we want to acknowledge it or not, we walked in here today with some mountains that we're facing in 2023. I walked in here with mountains that I am facing in 2023. Mountains of doubt, mountains of anxiety, mountains of fear, internal mountains of addiction and hardship and trial that we wake up and we face every day. External mountains that we're dealing with in our relationships, at work, in our lives. Obstacles that seem impossible to move on purely human terms. Things that we're up against that when we look at it, we say, there's no way. And Jesus goes, that's why I'm inviting you into this. I want to teach you how to move mountains because you can't do it on your own. You need to invite me into the situation and 21 days of fasting and prayer is a way that all of us can say, Lord, we are inviting you into the situation because even though this is completely impossible for me, Jesus, you just said, and you reminded all of us that nothing will be impossible for you if you have the faith, even the size of a grain of mustard. But here's the catch. 
And here's what we have to see. Point number two, and this is what we learn. Jesus replied, he says, because they said, why can't we do it, Jesus? Why can't we move this mountain? Why can't we heal this kid? What's going on here? He replied, because you have so little faith. And then he says, now, if if I'm reading this or you're hearing this, you would think his next sentence would be, it's because your faith is so small. You need more faith. Your faith needs to be the size of a mountain if you want to move a mustard seed. If you want to deal with this, this, this sickness, this demon. But instead he goes, it's because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, then you would say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. Hold up, Jesus. That, it doesn't make any sense what you just said. You said it's because I didn't have enough faith and then you told me if my faith was just a little bit smaller, maybe I could do it. Like the smallest known thing in, you know, the world at that time, a little mustard seed. Are you saying I need more or less faith? Jesus, I'm confused. No, what Jesus is saying, and here's point number two, if you're taking notes, is simply this. The effectiveness of our faith is dependent on the object, not the amount. The effectiveness of our faith is dependent on the object, not the amount. You see, I believe... Jesus had just sent his disciples out into the world to do incredible miracles. They had seen those things done and they had gotten a little confident. We got this. We can do this. He's empowered us to do this. And yes, they could do this, right? And they show up to this situation and suddenly they prayed for healing and it didn't happen. And there was this confusion. There was this, what's going on here? And they prayed again, and it didn't happen. And then Jesus, who's just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, revealing himself to be fully God, truly God, the ambassador of heaven to earth, comes down and says, if you had faith essentially in me, creator of heaven and earth, maker of the mountains and seeds, mountains and seas, even the size of a mustard seed, You could do anything. Nothing would be impossible. Do you know who's on your side? You don't know yet, disciples. You see, you have a lot of faith and you're praying, believing that this kid's gonna be healed, but for some reason, you're not putting your faith in the right thing. The object is off just a little bit. You don't need a lot of faith to move a mountain. You just need faith in a God who is able to move mountains and even a little bit of faith in him can do an unbelievable thing in your life. I think about this. I I like to say the disciples, they had bike ramp faith. And here's what I mean. This was about their stage of development and their spiritual journey. I think we all went through this as kids, right? The season where after you learn how to ride a bike, you wanted to take it up a level So you found some cinder blocks and a piece of plywood. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Cinder blocks and a piece of plywood, and you're like, I'm going to ride this ramp to the moon. I've got this. Let's go. You built a bike ramp for the very first time. We've all been there. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. But behind my house, I'll never forget growing up, after I learned how to ride a bike, there was a creek behind my house, and maybe seven, eight feet wide. Me and my buddies were looking at that creek one day and, you know, we were doing the calculations internally and we thought, you know, I bet you if we got a three cinder block stack right here, about a four foot piece of plywood right here, we're going to send it. 
we're going to make it over that creek. And man, didn't the Lord just bless us on this day? He gave us a ramp, a hill right here. So if we hit it at the right speed, we're for sure going to send it. In our minds, it looks something like this. If you can picture this in your head, I found this on the internet, but we all believed this is what was going to happen. We had complete faith in the cinder block ramp and the object right there. And in fact, what happened uh, was something more like this. This is also a picture off the internet. And for whatever reason, we came flying down that hill. I happened to be the first one to give it a shot. And I just believe like evil Knievel, I'm, I'm going to soar over to this creek, you know, probably do a 360 in the midair and land it on the other side. When in reality is the moment my front tire hit the ramp, the cinder blocks went flying into the creek and the front edge of the ramp popped up and stopped my back tire, which then sent me into the creek on top of the cinder blocks. Praise Jesus. And what happened was not my faith. I had tons of faith in my ramp, huge faith. I had full faith in my, my legs ability and my ability to ride a bike. I was 100% confident and sure that I was going to make it to the other side. The problem was not my amount of faith. It was the object of my faith. <laughs> I put my faith in the wrong thing. A cinder block ramp. And friends, so many of us, so many of us have been plowing. We think back on last year. <clears throat> and we were trying to cross a river, we were trying to cross whatever was in front of us. We were trying to move a mountain with a cinder block ramp of our own strength. It wasn't about the amount of our faith. It was that we were dependent on the wrong thing, the wrong object. And Jesus is saying, if you trust me, if you believe even just a little bit in who I am as God, then it doesn't matter what you're up against. And it's not saying, wow, you're gonna get healed and it's all fixed immediately. But what it is saying is, no matter what you're facing, I'm gonna walk you through this in such a way that it's gonna become clear to the entire world that God is up to something in your life. You're gonna walk through that pain with a sense of peace that is supernatural. You're going to walk through that rejection with a sense of security that is from another, from another place because it's from God. You're going to walk through the hardships and the trials in your own soul with a sense of peace and trust because God is with you, not because you're not facing mountains, not because you don't have trials in front of you. God is saying, look, this isn't just an obstacle. It's an assignment because the mountain represents the new work of God's kingdom that he wants to do in your life. He goes, believe me, it can be moved. It may not be moved in the way you think it will. Maybe I'm just going to help you get up and over that thing, and it might take three years you might have some miserable light nights sleeping on the edge of a mountain or a cliff where you feel like you want to quit and go down and this is ridiculous, but I'm with you, he says, through it all, through every minute of it. Keep leaning in, keep coming back, keep pressing in. The mountain will move. Friends, number three, the thing that he closes with here that I think is so important is that Prayer must become our first response, not our last resort. Prayer and fasting must become our first response, not our last resort. How many times? 
Have we gotten halfway up the cliff only to slip on a foothold and then start praying? Dear Jesus, help me now. How many times have we been coming full tilt down the hill towards that ramp only to make contact with the ramp, have our bike just stop dead in its tracks and be flying over the handlebars only to throw up a prayer, Lord, if you don't mind, right now would be a good time. Save me now, Jesus, right? I remember growing up, my dad, you know, I don't know if you all had a dad like this, but whenever... I had friends over. He took it as an opportunity for free labor. Now that I'm a dad, I think that's a great idea. Sawyer and his buddies, they have no idea what they're in for. It was like, if a couple of my, my buddies were at my house on a Saturday morning, he's like, hey, great to have you all here. Hey, we got a project out back. I need your help with it. Not optional. Come on. And I remember <laughs> one Saturday morning, he woke us up early, had breakfast for us, and I knew something was up at that point. Like, that's bad if he has breakfast ready for you. And uh, came downstairs, breakfast is ready to go. And uh, he says, hey guys, got a little project we're gonna jump into today. I'm like, dad, come on, not, don't, no. He says, yeah, it's time to rip up the back deck. I'm gonna put a new deck on it. Huge back deck, all the wood was rotten. And he had a bunch of um, sledgehammers and crowbars so we can get all the nails out. It wasn't optional, we just had to do it. And I remember going out there and he goes, hey, your reward at the end of this is you get to take all the old wood, take it down to the back of the property and start a bonfire. Now, what, I mean, that is a bit of a reward for a, a young guy. It's like, okay, that's cool. You know, we're gonna have a bonfire tonight. But I remember going out there and it's just middle of the summer, it's hot and we're, we're just cranking nails out and guys are under the deck hitting it with sledgehammers and piece by piece, we're ripping off the old deck so that the new deck can be laid on top. The new wood can be placed on top. And so we're not running back there and getting splinters or falling through where the wood has rotted out. And I thought about this because verse 21, Jesus says, but this kind never comes out except by prayer and fasting. Now, at first you think, well, he's only just really focusing on your faith. Is your faith placed in me? Is it on the right object or is it in the wrong direction? But he does add at the end, especially in Mark 9, when you read the same story, he says, look, the reason some of these things are not going to change without prayer and fasting is because what is prayer and fasting? It's the crowbars and the sledgehammers of the spiritual life, friends. There's a bit of an old deck in your life somewhere. There's some old planks. Jesus referred to it as new and old wineskins. He says, the reason you're going to all fast when I'm taken back to my father is because you need to be prepared for the new work that I want to do in your life. Look, an old wineskin cannot receive new wine or it will burst. You can't just lay a new deck on top of an old deck. It'll warp. The wood won't stay. And I remember, you know, piece by piece with the sledgehammers and the crowbars taking the wood to the bottom of the hill. And I'll ask for the keys and the band to come out. We're closing with this. And I remember just being miserable throughout the whole process. And I was reading that passage and this memory came just flooding back into my mind of, of ripping up the boards and taking them to the bottom of the hill. I thought, man, prayer and fasting is what actually prepares us for the mountains to move. 
Why? How? Of all things, Jesus, why prayer and fasting? I'd rather have a crowbar and a sledgehammer. Get, put me to work on something. He said, no, I actually just want you to eat nothing and talk to me. What? I want you to give some things up in your life and just talk to me. And watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to rip up the whole old deck. It's going to be soul work. And then I'm going to completely change your life. And I'm going to move this mountain. Some kinds only come out through prayer and fasting. Friends, what struck me is when the father first brought his son to the disciples and to Jesus, he misdiagnosed the problem. Did you catch that? He goes, my son is suffering from epilepsy, from seizures. He falls into the fire and into the water. He doesn't mention any spiritual or soul malady at all. He's just focused on the external problem. And Jesus shows up. No one's even thinking, oh, this kid has a demon or he's got something wrong inside of his soul. No one's even, that's not even on their radar. He shows up and he casts out a demon. And then the boy is healed. The commentator said something amazing this week. He said, you know what's incredible about this is Jesus oftentimes, whether it was a paralytic or somebody else, he would forgive their sins first before he healed them. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees would be mad, but Jesus goes, look, I'm going to deal with the internal problem first. The mountain in your own soul that needs to be moved. The sickness in your own spirit and your own soul that I need to take care of. And look, the external transformation, the external healing, the moving of the mountain, that'll come. But right now, I'm going to show you how to get to the next little hold. Get a few more feet up through prayer and fasting. And I'm going to bring some things up in your own life that you're going to need my help on. Deep wounds, deep trauma, deep areas in your soul that you can't heal or fix on your own. And when you fast and pray, you're just going to bring those to me. You're going to see them in a fresh light for the first time. I'm going to heal you from the inside out. And then all of these things that you've been focused on that you thought were the problem, I'm going to move those mountains for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. Healing starts from the inside out. That's why prayer and fasting are the sledgehammers and the crowbars of the Christian life. It's God's means of ripping off the old and setting down the new. And then at the end of the story, right, what does he invite us to do with all the old stuff? Start a bonfire. Light it on fire and leave it in 2022. Come on, somebody. Light it on fire and let it go. Let it get burned up in the fire of God's grace and forgiveness and his mercy. His mercies are fresh. They're new every morning. So what do you do with all the old stuff that God is going to begin to reveal and remove from your life through fasting and prayer? Man, take it down the hill, light it on fire, and let it burn. Let it burn. God said, I've dealt with that. I'm making all things new. Let's start right here. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.